moms are the master managers of all of the things, all of the people, all of the relationships, uh, but we don't really turn those skill sets toward ourselves. So we manage our relationship with our partner for the most part. We can talk about that if you want to. We manage our relationship with our kids. We manage our social relationships. We manage the relationship with a home and all the work that goes on there. But then it's like we totally forget ourselves. And so the book gives a system. So it's not It's nothing you've already read. Like it doesn't exist yet. It's a system to help moms manage their relationship with themselves in ways that are actually doable within the framework of a mom's busy life. Welcome to The Mom Feed, a podcast about the transition into motherhood. I'm Lauren Lobley, also known as Mom, Mommy, and Mom to two young kids, Madison and Liam. When a woman becomes a mother, she experiences the most neurobiological changes in her life. This transitional period is called matricense. Learning about this helped my journey into motherhood make so much more sense, and I want you to feel the same way. So if you are a soon-to-be mom, new mom, or already in the thick of motherhood, this podcast is for you. Join me and my guests each week as we tackle various topics in and around life as a mother. Ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Mom Feed. I am so glad you're here and I am so excited about today's guest, Dr. Morgan Cutlip. Dr. Morgan has a PhD in psychology and is a highly sought after relationship expert. She knows what it feels like to lose yourself in motherhood and she's determined to help mothers navigate it better. Throughout her career, she has helped hundreds of thousands of people worldwide learn how to form and maintain healthy relationships. Dr. Morgan has been a featured relationship expert with Teen Vogue, The New York Times, Women's Health Magazine, Mops International, Loveology, and Flow, the number one app in health and fitness. Her new book, Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself, just came out on Tuesday and it is absolutely brilliant. I'll read you the tagline is five steps to banish guilt and beat burnout when you already have too much to do. Because like, honestly, whenever somebody says, I have a system to help you beat burnout in motherhood, and you're like, that's so cool. Look at the list of things I have to do. Um, I don't think so. Dr. Morgan cuts through the BS here. And let me tell you, she does have a system. And what she's going to tell you is not what you've heard before. So if you have been a longtime listener, then you know that motherhood completely rocked my world in ways I was not expecting, especially since I thought I'd always wanted to be a mom and had it all figured out. I took the babysitter's course, for goodness sake. I was always babysitting. I knew what I was doing, and my imaginary babies were very well taken care of when I was a kid. Thank you very much. Well... I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was getting into. And I was not prepared for the array of emotions I felt, including the ones I didn't even know how to put into words. And then I was in a lot of judgment. And of course, as you navigate motherhood, all sorts of parts of your personality come out that you didn't know existed. You know, some good, mostly not. And then you're judging yourself about it. It's just, it's a hot mess. It's a hot mess. It's not all a hot mess, but we're talking about that aspect of it today. So today, Dr. Morgan will almost certainly make you feel seen, heard, and understood in a way that will touch you to your very core as it did for me 
That is my wish for you um, as you listen to this episode today. On top of that, you're likely going to walk away feeling armed with information on how to navigate your busy life as a mother, a partner, a friend, and all of the things that you are among all of the things that you do on a daily basis. Sound good? All right, let's do this. I usually do an ad here before the show, but for today, I'm not going to do that. You can just go to themomfeed.com. There's a shop page. If you navigate to the shop tab at the top, you're going to see all these amazing brand partners that I have the privilege to work with. And there are some discount codes that I can pass along to you, which is always helpful, especially since all the stuff that I um, like to promote is non-toxic. So non-toxic skincare, nutrition, cook and bakeware, and all those things. And that stuff can be expensive. So, uh I think any any bit of savings helps, but I don't want to talk about those things right now. You can go and do that on your own time right now. I want to take care of you. I just want you to take a moment to breathe. That's right. Can you remember the last time you stopped what you were doing to take three intentional deep breaths? I can't really either. Or maybe you're like, I just did that this morning. Okay, cool. Whether it's been a while or you just did it, taking deep breaths is always going to be a good idea. So we're going to do that right now together. And then we're going to listen to Dr. Morgan with a much calmer nervous system. We're going to do Dr. Andrew Weil's 478 breathing technique, which has been shown to reduce stress in just a matter of minutes. You breathe in through your nose for the count of four, hold it at the top for a count of seven and breathe out through your mouth for a count of eight. I promise you this breath work If you're in the middle of a stressful day or maybe a stressful time with one of your children and they're having a temper tantrum, if you can, or even if they're not and you're just stressed out, if you can just take a few moments to breathe, whether it's with them or without them, like go into the, sometimes I'll go into the pantry or the closet and take three deep breaths. I promise you just taking that pause, first of all, just taking the pause between um, whatever's happening and the reaction that you're about to have, if it's less than favorable will be beneficial, but then to calm your nervous system down will be even better. Okay, so let's do it. And hopefully you'll just have this tool in your toolkit to use the next time you feel stressed out, or maybe don't wait until you're stressed out. Maybe just do it a few times today. I'm just saying. Okay, here we go. In for the count of four through your nose, hold for seven at the top, out for eight through your mouth or your nose. It's totally up to you, whatever feels comfortable. Ready? Here we go. In. Hold for seven. Out for eight. In for four. Hold for seven. Out for eight. One more. In for four. Hold for seven. Out for eight. Now scan your body and see if you're a little calmer. Willing to bet that you are. All right. Let's get to the show. Well, Dr. Morgan Cutlip, thank you so much for being on the Mom Feed podcast. So nice. Thank to you meet so you. much. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to meet you too. Oh, uh, I love your content. I was I've been devouring it, and then last night before <laughs> I went to bed, I just devoured even more. And I thought of how um, how serendipitous today's interview was because 
I actually haven't released an episode in about a month and a half because I've just been kind of underwater with life and children and all of that stuff. <laughs> and the episode I released today was about relationships. And it was... No way! Yeah. And it was... <laughs> I've only done one or two other episodes about relationships. And this one really got into something I'm going to ask you about today, but got into how your relationship changes when you become mm. a parent. And we really, um, we really dove deep on that. So I'm going to, we'll get into that. But before we go anywhere, I know you have a book, it's either coming out or it has come mm. out. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I actually got my early readers yesterday. So I'm like sitting next to it, just like, oh, <laughs> it. like yay. Um, but it's coming out. So it's available for pre order now anywhere you buy books um, online. But it's coming out in early September. And it's called Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself. And it's, and then the, the tagline is so long, but it was like, I fought for this tagline. So it's five steps to banish guilt and beat burnout when you already have too much to do. And so the, I, right, I was like, I have to say all these things, but it's long. But um, the idea behind the book is that uh, moms, it's a book for moms. It's moms are the master managers of all of the things, all of the people, all of the relationships. Uh, but we don't really turn those skill sets toward ourselves. Mm. So we manage our relationship with our partner for the most part. We can talk about that if you want to. We manage our relationship with our kids. We manage our social relationships. We manage the relationship with a home and all the work that goes on there. But then it's like we totally forget ourselves. And so the book gives a system. So it's not it's nothing you've already read. Like it doesn't exist yet. It's a system to help moms manage the relationship with themselves in ways that are actually doable within the framework of a mom's busy life. So that's, oh, that's brilliant because I think one of the things that has been a theme when I've interviewed um, specifically relationship experts, therapists, psychotherapists, um, coaches is yeah. – Listen, I know I need to give myself more time. I know I need to manage the relationship with myself, but I'm looking at this list and yeah. I'm looking at the time and it's not working. So yeah. that that you just said you haven't heard this before, it's a system. My ears just went, tell me more. Because <laughs> I get really irritated by the lists and and I so I won't go on a total soapbox here, but I will just say you can. I have a problem with the lists. So I will caveat there. Usually all the stuff on a list is helpful. Like mm -hmm. we know if you go for a walk, you're going to feel better. If you exercise, heavy lifting even is supposed to be like really helpful. It helps me um, meditating, you know, d taking a bath, like all these things, right? are helpful. Mm -hmm. But moms don't need more lists of things to do with a time that we don't have. And when we get a list of things to do and we're like, oh yeah, I should, I should, I should, we start doing the should thing. Mm -hmm. And when we don't do the stuff on the list, we feel like we're falling short in another domain of life, which we don't need, which adds to burnout. This like self-deprecation and judgment adds to burnout. And so I feel like they're just they're, they bug me. And then the other piece around it that that bugs me, is, <laughs> so I get so fired up about it. I love it. Is that it, it assumes that moms have the time, the money, the resources, and the support to do the stuff on the list. And some moms do. 
and a lot of moms don't. And another thing a lot of moms don't have is the comfort level asking for the time and the support and the resources. And so even if you have them, a lot of women feel super guilty about it, feel real uneasy about it, feel like they're putting their partners out, which is like a whole thing. And so I feel very strongly that lists are helpful. If you're at the list stage of life, you got got the time, go Google the list. They're everywhere. We know what works. But for a lot of us, we have other things we need to deal with before we can even like get to that place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. So <laughs> let me just look at, can we define burnout? I feel like, I'm speaking of lists, like there's not a checklist, but if there's a certain amount of, you know, uh-huh. things that you may be feeling that probably mean that you're burnt out. Yeah. It's funny. I, we don't really even know what burnout means, a lot of us, but but we know when we are there. Um, and so I think it's kind of like this visceral thing. But there's three key components. Let's see if I, I'm so bad at remembering things because um, I'm a conceptual thinker. So <laughs> one is like the emotional um, and physical feeling of burnout. And so just like this exhaustion piece is one component. And so if you were to just like explain it in plain speak, it'd be like, oh, I'm so burnt out. Like it'd just be kind of like that statement. So that's one piece. Another is – okay. Another is like cognitive and emotional like disconnection. So Mm -hmm. this like numbing out, um, this disassociation or disconnecting. So if you – so – an example of this would be if like all of a sudden any free moment you get, you're just zoning out in your phone or you're like shopping or just scroll. You're just like is trying to escape. Mm. That's another sign that you're either burnt out or you're on a pathway to burnout. And then the last one is cognitive and emotional dysregulation. And so that's when you're like, I'm just losing it all the time. Like I'm always on the verge of kind of like just quickly losing it on um, on your kids, on your partner, just really not a lot of resources to devote to managing your yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for me, it has felt like, because I've definitely been in and probably still am currently, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. in burnout mode, mm-hmm. um, is like checking things off the list. Like I'm surviving, I'm not thriving. And every day is like that Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day, where I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to get up and do it again. And I might change something. I might do a podcast episode. I might do that. But it's, it's very like, I just forced my, I'm wearing a dress because I actually forced myself to go out to lunch with some friends today, which I don't normally do. Cause I'm like, no, I have too much to do. And then the opportunity cost of going out to lunch is now I'm three hours behind on the other stuff. And then it, and then there's, you never catch up. So there's this feeling of like, like you're, you can't breathe, like you're holding your breath and you're borrowing Peter to pay Paul and it doesn't ever end. And I just like always have these moments of like, I can't keep living like this. This isn't, I can't imagine that this is why I came to this planet to just get up and do the same things over and over again. So that for me is what burnout has felt like. And then just like, for me, it's like fragmented energy. It's feeling like I'm doing a thousand things and I don't feel like I'm good at any of them. I feel like you just explained the experience of like 90% of women. I like that whole time famine thing is a real problem. I've, 
live in that sometimes too, of how to be like really conscious about that feeling of like, there's never enough time. If I take time to go actually relax, then I'm not doing all of these other things. And like that worry and that feeling of um, like an elephant on your chest, I think is a really common one. And I think, you know, burnout shows up in these very practical ways, like inability to access creativity, Yes. Is one that's where it shows up for me a lot. Where I'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I have to create content!" Like I literally cannot catch my thoughts. Yes. It feels like there's floating around in there. Um, forgetfulness. It will be like, "Oh, mom brain." It's like, no. I mean, probably you're like burnt. Hopefully <laughs> you're burnt out. Yeah. And we can't, or you're holding too much in there that there's just almost like no room for anything else to fit in there or you lose your keys all the time, forgetting your words. That's a big one too that I think shows up a lot. And so there's these like really practical ways it, it shows up in our life. You just did a beautiful job of bringing that to life. <laughs> sorry. I'm living it. I'm, I'm sorry you're in it. It's okay. <laughs> well, and I started this podcast. I was telling you offline. I started this about six months into the pandemic when my son was about well maybe he was a little older maybe he was like eight or ten months old mm -hmm. and I started it because I just find that we fail mother we fail mothers in this country I'm from Canada originally I think we do a bit better in Canada mm -hmm. at least have a year maternity leave that is mandatory mm -hmm. um and I think a lot of countries in Europe do better as well though I there are downsides to all of these too. Um, no, there's no perfect system, but we fail m to set mothers up for the kind of care that they need that will avoid burnout in the first place. Yeah. You know, like, so it's like, we are aware this is the problem. And I hope, I mean, maybe we can get a little bit into what is in your book, but the problem is that we know we're burnt out. And yet we don't see where we can do anything about it because yeah. we're raising like, we have no family. I was in LA for 14 years. Now I'm in Austin, no family anywhere close yeah. by. I'm texting my parents. I'm like, what are the chances that uh, grandpa daycare could come out for a few months? Like, come on, dad. <laughs> a few months. Yeah, a few months. Yeah. Or like my mom's works at my old school. Is like, hey, ma, can you come for the summer? Cause I'm drowning. Yeah. But so we're, we're raising these children away from our families, a lot of us. Um, and we may not even call on our families or we may have a strained relationship with our families. So we may not, if they are close by, we may not use, like have them as a, a pinch hitter for lack of a better word or, or, or extra support. So we've got this system of the nuclear family set up to fail us. Mm -hmm. Because if the mom, if you're a stay-at-home mom, then it's all on you. And I was a stay-at-home mom until about eight months ago. Now mm -hmm. I've I'm a hybrid. Um, and then the, the a lot. Yeah, I know a lot of us are hybrids. And then your partner may be the breadwinner. So they're stressed out and to the max because they're trying to keep up with their job and their in the inflation and blah, blah, blah. And you're stressed out. So you're like, okay, I know I need help. I don't know who to throw the ball to. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> nobody here. What, like, so what? That's a very stuck, trapped feeling. Mm -hmm. there's got to be a way out. <laughs> what do we mm -hmm. do? Yeah, which like my answer is not like a sexy answer in terms of like do that and then you're free. No. Um, but I do have a lot of thoughts about what you're saying. So I've read a lot of mom books 
Um, I, I feel like there's not necessarily like one – like there's not – you know how there's like relationships you're like, have you read The Five Love Languages? Like everybody knows that book, right? I don't feel like the book for moms, like the big book, unless I'm missing it, is there yet for moms. But I have read a lot of books about motherhood or for moms and something that always strikes me about them and I love them and there's some very, very good ones is um, they're all about the system for the most part, like the systemic issues um, with how motherhood exists in our country, with capitalism, with like there's the patriarchy, like all of these components, right, that really impact being a mother, especially in the United States. And I enjoy it and I, and I also um, get really – mad (laughs) and then it's like it's I feel like I could make like a you know like the seven stages of grief or whatever like I could do that for like these are the stages I go through when I read a book like this and one of them is I start to get really angry start to get really fired up and then I feel helpless Mm -hmm. I feel stuck because I'm like what am I supposed to do to change my system? Because my system is so – its I'm, I'm living in it and I want help now. I don't want to have to go like to D.C. and like lobby for <laughs> these things. Like I, I would, but like also I need help right now. And so when I wrote my book, that was my mindset was very much like, yes, there is a system that we're living in that doesn't offer the supports that we need. However, this is a book for what you can do in your own life and where you can feel some sense of agency. Because I think we need to feel a sense of agency over our life. And so um, that's an important piece that people should know is my book is very much about like, what can you do as an individual about trying to experience motherhood in a different way that feels a lot better than I think a lot of us experience motherhood. And so, and I also believe that, um, especially my book is not on the mental load. I will be writing a book on the mental load next, but especially Mm -hmm. the mental load, I have, um, that outline done already. And like one of the whole chapters is you can change. So there's a top down approach to change and there's a bottom up and you can change cultures by changing what's going on in a family. And so I do think that we do have a lot of power to change the system within the home. And so if we start doing motherhood differently, if we start asserting ourselves differently, um, we're teaching future generations how to do this differently. Because I I think if if we reflect on um, our own upbringings, a lot of us grew up with the very like – I mean, I'm speaking for myself too, like the mom who is just like 1,000% all in and like my mom lives – my mom lives three blocks away and she'll still be like – I just don't know what to do without you guys, really. Like, I'm like, I'm three blocks away, mom. I love you. Like, we're right here. But just like, it was all in us. And now feeling very lost. You know, I'm 41 many years later. And so um, I'm definitely showing our daughter something different. And so it's going to kind of trickle down. So I think that's – I'm not answering how to feel better yet, but I do think it's important to know that there's power in just making shifts within our nuclear family. Yeah. Well, I I think you're absolutely right. And I think for me, I'm 40. I just turned 40 a few weeks ago. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, And I'm two kids in and it's only in the last few months that I've realized this sounds so terrible to say, but like that I have the permission to ask for yes. certain things yes, and like to assert myself in certain ways. Like uh, my husband and I were in a conversation the other day and he's like, can I get up and go for a bike ride tomorrow? 
And I was like, well, you're leaving for LA, you know? And I was like, Oh, I don't want to get into the tip for tat. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get up and it's like, well, are you going to get up and meditate? Or are you going to get up and work? And I was like, Hmm. Yeah. Oh, what an interesting reflection for you. <laughs> uh huh. And I was, and I felt myself about to defend and be like, well, no, I'm going to yeah. get up and work. And I was like, does it matter what I'm mm. going to do? Because mm-hmm. yes, I'm going to get up and meditate and journal so that I can do the rest of the work throughout the day. Yeah. So are you going to be okay if I get up and work for you to not go for a ride? Or are you only going to be Oh, okay? I took it differently. Is that how we meant it? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Keep, yeah. keep How going. did you take like, it? I took it that he was kind of like, I'm going to do something for me. Are you going to get up and go right into your work? Or are you going to get up and actually meditate and do oh, something? No, it was, oh, no. Oh, I gave him the – I saw him in a generous light. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't like he's a kind, very kind person. And I think this is the thing, though, is that you don't have to be a malicious person to have these um, imbalances in your relationship. It's like it's so innocent. But a lot, especially when I wasn't working, um, when I was I wasn't working, I was a stay at home (laughs) mom. So I didn't essentially I didn't get a paycheck for what I was doing yeah and I was you know that's a whole other conversation but I felt guilty ever asking him like if he wanted to get up and go for a bike ride at 6 a.m I'd be oh he's the one making the money I can't ask for it because we have these okay so this is stuff my book talks about okay things that you're getting into now um not with partner my book is just for moms it can be a single mom it can be you know it's, you don't have to be in a partnership but these so i talk about it like we absorb all of these messages from whatever structures that we live in from society from our partners from our parents from what you saw you know what we don't ever think about mm-hmm. is our definition of what it means to be a good mom we don't ever think about that. And then we become a mom and that definition has lived within us since we were young because, you know, when our caregivers were taking care of us, we we're like absorbing all this stuff, like these dormant seeds. And then we become a parent and then all of a sudden it blossoms and we're like, why do I feel all this guilt about these things? And it's because we have absorbed all of this stuff and we've never actually put it on the table and examined it to say, is this actually working for me? Does this work for my parents? Does this work for us? And so it haunts us mm-hmm. until we get to a point where we're just fed up. And I think we're like, well, we're going to like do something a little differently. And then also if we have these dynamics in our relationship and now we're trying to change the dynamics, sometimes it causes a little bit of tension, um, yeah. but it's worth pushing through that tension. But I mean, what you're saying is so relatable. I remember so I'll say a couple things. One, I remember um, this experience of like, so my husband's a worker. He he is he has a hard time even sitting still. So, um, and we do we deal with mental load stuff. Like that's an ongoing conversation with us. We've done a lot of work on that over the years. But like there would be times sometimes where he would maybe sit on the couch, be and there would be um, a sink full of dishes. And I will have already cooked dinner. And so, I mean, I just assume like if I'm cooking, you're cleaning. Like that's how we're doing this. And I remember just like looking over at him and like if looks could kill, he'd just be obliterated. Like what are you doing? How dare you sit on the couch right now? Because a couple of things. Number one, I assumed that his sitting on the couch meant that he expected me to clean it up. 
that's actually not the case. He was just like chilling out for a minute and he would eventually do the dishes. So I think this is one thing we have to pay attention to. Sometimes when we start to think about um, caring for ourselves or meeting our needs or asserting ourselves or not doing as much, that's another thing. We got to like not do as many things sometimes. Uh, We need to think about what messages we're kind of projecting and what meaning, I mean, what meaning we're projecting on people's behavior or, or lack of behavior. So that was one piece. Another piece that I learned from this very minor and common scenario is like, well, I could sit on the couch too. Like why? <laughs> why why did it? Who decided that like I am the like the ringleader of this circus? And so there was a lot of reworking of things cuz I had found myself really entrenched in a lot of these patterns of just kind of like well, I guess I'll do it and I'll step in and I'll be grumpy and I'll be banging the pots and pans. And so I um, I think it's important for us, you know, yes, there's going to be guilt and things like that that we have to rework. And then I think also um, we need to be careful about how we make meaning of things because that can feed our guilt or feed our inaction. And also too, I need to think we, we need to realize the power that we have to actually make these decisions when a lot of times our dialogue is, well, I don't have a choice. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got. I can't take a break. I got to do this. I got to do that. And um, we watch our partners do it and get ticked off. But maybe we need to be a little bit more like them sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I, what, I think it was one of your posts that was um, kind of like te- <laughs> teaching people, teaching your partner how to help you. So I was laughing because one of one of them was just like, your partner will do something, but they'll just do like it halfway or three quarters of the way. Oh, yeah. And my husband was always like that until lots of years of me going oh we have a visitor hi buddy hi bud you want to say hi to dr morgan oh yeah it's a whoopee hi. cushion. <gasps> oh i love whoopee cushions yeah where's daddy <laughs> let me hear it <laughs> go ask daddy to blow it up okay and then come back so and blow, I it can up. blow it up you can blow it up do you oh. know what my daughter does in our car she sneakily turns the blinker into a whoopee cushion so every time i make a turn it farts how does she do that? It's a Tesla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why. That's the only car that I know that can do a yep. car. So annoying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Whenever our friends come over with Teslas, they'll sit in the driveway. Oh, there's daddy. <laughs> sit in the driveway and they'll push all the buttons. Okay, do it. Do the sound one time, okay? And then you can Let me hear home. it. Can you hear it? Can we hear yeah, it? You gotta, gotta finish what you started. Let me hear it. Oh, there we go. Nice. That was an airy one. <laughs> Come on, Mister. Let's go. He's running away. Mm, he's hiding. It's okay. You can leave him here for now. Okay. Um, that's Liam, by the way. Hi, that Liam. Was, that was Ted. But anyway, so he, what would happen is um, he used to do the dishes, but he'd do them until he was tired, and then he was done. <laughs> and I was like, no, um, because I need to get up and use the kitchen again in the morning. Yeah. Um, hey, buddy, I need it to be a little bit more quiet. Okay, bud. Thank you. Uh, I was like, I need to get up and use the kitchen in the morning. So anything that you don't do, I then have to do in the morning unless you're going to get up and do it. So mm-hmm. it, it did end up having to be a conversation and it took mm-hmm. a while, but explaining it that way instead of the banging the dishes around and I remember like Glennon Doyle had did you see she did a post or maybe it was in her book um the must be nice like she would like fold laundry and just like look at Abby and be like must be nice 
and like make as much noise as possible. And so like must be nice itis. If you just yes. communicate like your post said, like when you don't do this fully, then I have to own the rest of it. And that takes away from me. And I think the issue though is, especially for stay at home moms, I'm going to venture out to say, we don't feel like we have the right to say it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what, um, yeah, because this this book doesn't talk as much about mental load stuff, but it talks about that first, if you're not in a place where you're comfortable actually asserting yourself in that way, this first book is what takes you through that. So what do you got to combat? What do you got to get over to feel like you have the right to assert your needs, to have this conversation? What are these messages you've absorbed and you've received that are getting in the way of your ability to actually do that type of work in your relationship? Because I think that's the thing is like I hear all the time from women is like, but he works so hard and I don't want to put him out or I feel like I shouldn't need any help since I'm a stay-at-home mom. That's a really big one. Yes. And it's absolutely absurd, just so you know. Like it's absurd to think that. Who works 24-7 when you're a stay-at-home mom? You are always on call without a break. Like that's absolutely wild. But a lot of us operate by holding ourselves to these really impossible standards. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it was Brene. I want to say it was Brene Brown the other day. I think it was her where she was like 50-50 parenting is just a crock of you know what. No. Yeah. She's like, it's whatever parent has the most energy available. That's the way that we should be parenting so that you're constantly in conversation. And to your point of something you said earlier about the system, the system begins in the home and the system has got to be every day is a different day. We both decided to have children. They belong to us together. If I'm the stay-at-home mom, my role is to be with the kids while you are at work. And then when you get home and before you leave, we are a team in this together. And I think that's the lines get blurred when you're a stay-at-home mom completely. Totally. I think – I mean, you're saying something that I believe to my core, which is that every day – you're dealing with different circumstances, like things are always changing. And so um, in this book, this is actually where I begin. And then in my in my book that I will be writing on the mental load, I'm going to like hop right into the next one. It's going to be part of that too. But the premise is that um, the idea that we're ever going to like reach this perfect destination of having every, everything together, whether it's like I'm going to come out of burnout and never get burnt out again, or I'm never going to get lost in motherhood again, or um, we're going to finally find this cruising altitude in our relationship and we're going to stay there forever. Like it is complete baloney. There's no such thing as balance because every single day life is going to be working against your relationships. And it's, I mean, even the good things, like, you know, you said you did a deep dive in the other podcast about life after kids, but like life after kids is a kind of inconvenient for your relationship. And it's a blessing and it's wonderful and it's exciting, but it pulls your relationship apart um, and even your relationship from yourself. And so- Yes. I think part of the answer to to whether it's the mental load, whether it's avoiding burnout, whether it's marriage after kids, the answer is very much that you have to be intentionally managing your relationship and part of it requires that you're regularly like checking in on it. Yeah. And like with the mental load, you got to be good at talking about it because every single day it looks different. My husband travels. He's in and out 
in and out all the time. If every time I needed to talk to him about the men- like the mental load and all that needs taken care of, it turned into this big defensive conversation, we would probably not be together. Like you have to get good at regularly talking about this stuff. When it comes to burnout, you have to get good at regularly checking in on yourself turning the dials or at least defining what's going on with you and putting a pin in it for later. So this idea of like balancing versus reaching balance, I think is a key part to having successful relationships. For sure. It's the concept of like coming back to calm when you notice that you're not calm and coming back Mm -hmm. into balance, like, and the open conversations, this feels, I'm feeling, keeping in the first person, like I'm feeling burnt out. Can we talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and the, your partner might be able to say, well, it sounds like you're trying to do too many things. Is there something that can be taken off the plate? Because yeah. if you're like, these are the five things that need to happen. And your partner's like, well, I'm going to be traveling those days and I don't want you to be stressed out. So rather than put it on your shoulders, let's see how we can get it off your shoulders completely. Yes. You yeah. know, or if I'm going to be traveling, I mean, I think this is a big So we're like bouncing between topics, but like if we go to mental load, I think, you know, something also that I I try to highlight when I talk about content around the mental load is like, and sometimes when our partners aren't available and they can't actually logistically remove things off our plate, then they need to swoop in with the type of support that fills us up so we have more capacity to function, which might be encouraging words or expressions of appreciation or like a real um, heartfelt, like just compliment about like, you're crushing it. Like I see everything you're doing. You are amazing. Like I appreciate you. So there's all sorts of ways to, to show up for each other in those circumstances. But if we don't feel like we can even talk about it, then it's going to be hard to get those needs met. Yeah. And we also have to separate the problem from the person. I think what happens is like, we take it as a personal insult. Like, especially as a mom, you're doing everything. If, if somebody comes home and says the house is a mess, they, you're you're like, you take it as a personal insult and you have this need to list all the things that you did that day to keep the house clean and versus like, so it's not all the conversations have to be centered around the issues and not the person like you didn't clean up. It's just Like, it looks like that will change your life, by the way. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're able to do that, that will change your life. I I did an experiment. It's been years now. But I did 30 days of taking nothing personally in my relationships. Because I'm like, I'm a real sensitive person. Not like I'm offended. I'm not offended very easily. But I just notice everything. So it's like, if you like blink a little funny, I'm like, what's the matter with you? Like, did I do something? (laughs) And it's always about me. Did I? Did I upset you? And um, specifically, so my I apparently like married my mother because my husband and my mom are very, very similar. And they're just kind of like straight shooters. They're not super sensitive sometimes. Wonderful mm-hmm. people. Like I love them both to death, but just like just different and, and it probably compliments me very well because of that. But um, I was like, okay, for 30 days, I'm just going to assume nothing's got to do with me. Mm-hmm. And so my husband would maybe be like kind of like lost in his phone at the counter or something working. And usually I'd be like, hey, you know, you okay with me? <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying, right? When you re- reflect on it, it's like, gosh, I'm really annoying. Um, and so I just wouldn't do it. Just like, like to go do my stuff, like make my breakfast, kind of like walk by, graze his shoulder or whatever. Or even with my mom, you know, she can – she wears her emotions on her sleeve. So I'm always assumed she's upset at me. It's never about me. I did the same. And it 
dramatically changed my relationships because they enjoyed me more. I was less annoying. I enjoyed them more because I just wasn't worried about what they thought or was like, I was never assuming I had a problem to fix. And that's the thing when we personalized stuff that's not even our stuff we like are in we're like inviting ourselves in to like make it better and so we take more on than we need to yeah and so it's it's life-changing yeah encourage everyone to try it you're probably I'm a highly sensitive person you probably are too um I'm also a middle child so it's always like everybody okay like who do I need to make sure everybody's good and like I'll I'll just shrink myself down so that like that's who I am and then my mother was a flight attendant. So like hostess always like yes. done up to the nines. She joined the airlines in the seventies where you, know, oh, you like wade in and you're dressed to the nines. So I've got that and I totally understand that. And what I've tried, my life coaches said, Lauren, there's three types of business. There's your business, there's my business, and there's God's business. <laughs> the only business that you're responsible for is yours. And anybody's yeah. opinion of you is none of your business. I was like, oh, that is so true. And it's liberating. People don't walk around going, oh, Morgan did this weird thing. Like, they're way too self-absorbed. Like, We're all all thinking about ourselves. We're all thinking about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I love that. Well, I want to go back to one of the things you were saying about, like, the partner showing up for you when logistically they can't be there. I think Mm -hmm. one of them, another good way is, like, send a meal. Say I ordered a meal for dinner, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, but one thing that really struck me that re- almost made me cry when I read your reel or your post was the partner saying something along the lines of, I know parenthood has changed my life, but I see like it hasn't changed it the way that it has changed yours. And that must be really hard. And if I had heard that, I could cry right now. I know I got goosebumps. I wrote it. <laughs> it's because it's what I wanted to hear. Yes. I think we all would want to hear that as a mom, especially. Yeah. But I don't like – I it, because we, we're we stuck in this like, well, it should be 50-50, but th- these are words that are not then uh, translated, I think, into our systems in our mm-hmm. homes and societally. But for a partner to acknowledge like – geez, if you, it's not 50, 50, your whole body changed, your hormones are going out of whack. If you had your children biologically and like, um, even if you didn't, you still like the, the mother goes through way more of the changes. And I remember like when my daughter was born, I was shell shocked and like, like I had this whole different idea. I didn't even know what I was going to need. I thought I was good. I got the baby registry. I was like, I'm good. And I was like, what just happened? And I had all these thoughts of like, what did I do? I made a mistake. I am not meant for this. I can't do this. Like they're they're supposed to sleep. It's time. I don't, it was just, and I remember my husband when like a few weeks in, he's like, do you mind if I go for a run with everybody and go to brunch with them after yoga? And I wanted to cry because we used to do. Did these you not? Trails. I would have cried. I did when he left. Yeah, I yeah. Pulled my eyes out. But we used to do these trail runs in the morning. Then we do yoga. Then we go to brunch. And it was just in the question that he didn't understand that I didn't have that option. 
I couldn't even ask because my, I was still bleeding. I like physically wasn't capable of doing that. And it was in that moment that I felt so alone mm-hmm. in motherhood because I was mm-hmm. like, we are not in this together because no. yes, I'm the one who's breastfeeding, but you're not sitting next to me being there. You're downstairs in the garage, like organizing things, thinking that you're being helpful and you are, but I'm here stuck with my emotions and my bleeding nipples and my toes are curling up from every suck because she's got a lip tie and you get to ask me if you can go for a run and I don't have the option. So now you'll be gone for four hours and I'm going to be here with a colicky baby trying to figure out who I am and who she is. And I felt... So when I read your post that it, like if he had just, and again, great guy, big heart, amazing father, no awareness mm-hmm. of this. And I didn't even have the awareness to be able to express it to him. So yeah. that's the other problem. Cause he's like, you always say that you're alone and I feel so bad, but you didn't tell me. I was like, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that that to label it that way. It's, so uh... It's I mean, just so yeah. hard. Everything you're saying, I've went through as well, and um, gosh, I'm like getting like flashbacks of that early time. I write about some of it in the book. Um, it's not a memoir, but I do do demonstrate the concept through my own, like through stories of my own family. Um, but yeah, I think what you're saying is like, I think a lot of women would relate to it. I mean, I remember. Gosh, so Effie is our oldest. She's 10. And um, I remember when she was born. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing. I have my doctorate in psychology. I have a master's degree in human development and family science. And I had no idea what I was getting into. (laughs) It's like I did not even factor in. The other thing that nobody talks about is like, we don't, you just don't know what kind of baby you're going to have. No. I assumed that I would be like, I know what I'm going to do. I've got this. How hard can it be? I was – she came out with just like opinions. Like she was just this little <laughs> tiny helpless thing, but she definitely like didn't like stuff. And she told you very strongly. And I just was like scared of my baby because it's like every little thing – she freaks out about everything. And I felt alone and – Chad, I told you from the beginning, you can't sit still. And that thing that you said of like, I just wanted them to like be in it with – like I think our dream is like sit next to me the whole time and just keep me company. And I'm sure there are partners who do that. I didn't have one of those and he's a great guy too. Um, But just feeling so, so alone. And I think something I've shared about before – um, and I don't know the last time this has been researched. So this is old research, but I would guess it, I feel like they stopped looking at it because they kept finding the same things. So I don't know if it ha- would change. But um, when they look at changes after kids in heterosexual relationships, like what is the most distressing for each partner? So for for women, it's um, the increase of responsibilities, mm-hmm. which we all feel and finally is part of like a mainstream conversation. And then the second is um, loss of freedom. And that is one that I was like, yes, Mm. I will never forget when Chad came home one day with a haircut and I wanted to murder him. And it was like, there's nothing wrong with that. But it was this this glaring, like like your story, like this glaring 
awareness of like how drastically my life had changed, how limited, like your, your life really like can, can, Stricts so much during, especially right after you have a baby. You're just like, I can't do anything without something being attached to me, um, literally and figuratively. Whereas, like, he can just roam free. And then, so, but then when you look at for men, like, what's distressing for men? And I don't know if this has changed, um, but it's, I did a, I did a, I did a keynote once on millennial parents and I called it the booty and the Benjamins. Like the, what changes for them is like the worry about providing enough money that like stress seems to uptick for men. And then the other is like, oh, our sex life changed. Yeah. But it's all related, by the way. Uh-huh. Like you, you want to have a good sex life, take care of the responsibilities and be like, your life, and then say the things in my post, like your life has changed and mine hasn't and it has to feel hard. You're like, she will die. We she'll be so happy to. <laughs> yes. So yeah, yeah, it's just an interesting. Um, it's just an interesting like example in research of how wide apart our worlds are at that really important trans- transition time um, for a relationship and for for becoming parents and becoming a mother. Yeah. And that speaks back to Brene Brown's thing where it's not 50-50, where I really do think it's like if my husband had back surgery or knee surgery, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be expecting him to continue doing all the things that he was doing before. Mm-hmm. I would be the p- partner who would do 90% of the things while he recovered. And, mm-hmm. but meanwhile, a woman mm-hmm. has a baby and we're like, okay, get up, leave the hospital a day later. If you had a home birth, whatever, get up and walk around a day later. Or if you were lucky enough to do the 40 days, cool, but then get back up, get into the swing of things. You like, it's, it's bananas to me. And I feel like it really should be, Hey lady, you took one for the team. Yeah. I got you. I got you. I got you for the next, until you feel like yourself, well, you never feel like yourself again because you become a completely different person when you uh, become a mom. It just happens, which nobody really, really prepares you for, but it just does. Mm-hmm. But I really do think that, and I was afraid to voice that. I was afraid to mm-hmm. say, you know what? I'm the one who needs to be taken care of right now. For the for the next, I don't know, I can't give you a timeline. Which is wild because like we prepare so much for baby in terms of registry and like onesies and what crib and what car seat and what this and what that. And it's like, you know what we really need to be preparing is our relationship and your own in like dealing with your own hangups around this stuff. Because if – and the the thing is you don't even know you have them a lot of times um, until it's too – until you're already in it. And then you're like – then you're dealing with all sorts of other things that are hard to kind of navigate too. So that gets back burnered. And before you know it, you just perpetuate the patterns. And so, yeah. I mean, I, I have a, like, it's, it's actually, there's like a secret way to get it for like $9, but I have a course. So if you opt into my freebies on the thank you page for like $9.99, you can get this workshop. Um, and it's, it's how to have a happy marriage after kids, like how to have a happy and thriving relationship after kids. And it taught, and it's, if you're already in it, it doesn't matter because the concepts still apply, but it talks about like, how do you have a plan for this? Mm-hmm. We do all this prep, but like we gotta be able to like deal with some of these, these major issues before, or if we're already in it, we need to know how to get out of it. But a lot of us yeah. don't even think about that until we're 
too far in. Yeah. Well, and that's the conversation that was really, do you know, decoding couples, Stacey? Yeah, and yeah, So that's the episode that came out today. And I was like, what, like help us through navigate marriage with kids. And they're like, well, <laughs> your kids are not the problem. Your relationship, <laughs> like kids, job loss, moving exacerbates problems, highlights problems that were already there that you weren't dealing with. It highlights the load the mental load, the physical load, the the roles that you had before you had kids. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yes. That is so true. Yes. And like, I don't know all that they said because I haven't listened to it yet, but I did see you post about it today. But I, I think like to add to what they're saying is like the piece when I was talking about how we create these, these sort of like what did I call them? Dormant seeds that live within us that require the right conditions to like to blossom. And so not just about what it means to be a good mom, but what does it mean to have like we have expectations deep within us before kids about what a part a partner who is a good parent and a good partner after becoming a parent. We have like all these frameworks that exist within us that are just like under the surface that we don't even have an awareness of until after kids come into the picture. And then all of a sudden our partner's like not meeting any of our expectations, but they don't even know that these expectations exist. And so there's just, there's stuff. It's like, it will for sure highlight your vulnerabilities, but it's also going to introduce some ones you didn't even know were there. For sure. I think that's what bites you. It's like, what is happening to us? I didn't even know that we would fight about something like this. Yeah, it's totally the shadow work. And to your point, I, you posted something about, I think you asked parents, moms, what was the hardest for them in motherhood and um, among feeling alone, which so mm-hmm. many of us do, was, um, and I had said this before, and I'll, I'll use the term mom rage. Mm-hmm. I thought I was the most kind and patient person. Mm-hmm. And then I had kids and I was like, I, I'm a monster. Mm-hmm. But when you actually think about it, like if you had a roommate who was constantly poking you and asking you for food and throwing things <laughs> on the floor and ripping your nipples apart and like all, like all of these, mm-hmm. you would be like, you're, we're done. We're, but in, in, in motherhood, yeah. like you are constantly at the brink of your mm-hmm. sensory, of all of your senses. You're in overload basically all day long. So these poor mothers who are like, I'm a monster. I feel like I don't even know who this person is. It's like, take a step back, girlfriend. You are not a terrible person. You're overstimulated. Yes. That's such a freeing. I feel like the overstimulate, like all the, um, the OTs and stuff who are creating content. I'm so grateful for all of their work. I think it's just so powerful. Um, I think like a common way um, moms can feel lost in motherhood is that very experience. And like, so I'll say more broadly of like, you start to behave in ways that feel really inconsistent or incongruent with who you imagined yourself to be. Where like, I thought I was really calm and now I'm like raging at my poor innocent child, which they don't seem innocent, but then outside the moment when you calm down, then you feel really bad about it. And so I think there's all sorts of, you know, like there's all sorts of examples of that riddled through motherhood where we're like, 
this isn't who I thought I was. And I'm not, I mean, I'm having to like live this way. Like I was like, or I always thought myself as somebody very productive and I can't get anything done during the day. You know, like all these sort of moments add up to all of a sudden where you're like, I'm lost in this. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm totally incongruent. And there's actually a whole chapter on my book about this exact experience and like what's required for getting back to being more in alignment. And what would you say to a woman? Because I'm even thinking of my mom who's almost 70. And she's, when I got older, I had the awareness. I was like, Mom, I just want you to be happy. And she's like, well, I don't know what I like. I was like, oh, that's so sad. But I can see how she went down that path. And I can, now I'm stopping it, but I could see myself going down that path too. So for a woman who's listening right now, who's like, I don't know what I like. I don't know who I am. Like, where does she start? That is one of the most common things I hear actually and I and it comes in different forms it's like what I like or this you know what real I've done it like four times don't tell anybody but Mm -hmm. which is like (laughs) I have to keep doing the same thing sometimes you run out of but it's like you finally get a moment alone and then you don't know how to spend it and that so many moms are like yes like I don't even know what I like anymore and so I think the the deep the deep answer is um well we are taught to like make our needs small and we're taught that moms are mar- a good mom is a martyr yeah. so it makes like it makes sense that we've shoved it down for so long that like we can't access it anymore so part of it is getting comfortable like that whole thing we kind of been it's been a theme through our conversation you got to get comfortable um feeling like you're allowed to have needs and allowed to have hobbies and interests and things like that. Um, And so that's something my book walks you through as well as like practical exercise of how do you start identifying these things. But like I'll just throw out something very simple that I think could be helpful, which is like make a list, like make a list of things that you used to like to do and that sound like maybe I would like to do that. And um, I think people need to hear this that – needs, I'll call them needs. I mean, it's what you like to do for fun, but we have a need for fun. Um, needs change in type and in intensity. So like, for example, something that was important to me always was like, I need headspace to clear my mind, but like now I need a lot of it, you know? So yeah. just like cranked it up after becoming a mom. So, so if you ever are feeling like, well, I don't understand why I need so much of this. It's normal. Needs change in intensity or they might change completely. Things you like to do before you might not to do anymore. So make a big list and then start going through it. Like what what feels like it's, it doesn't fit for you anymore? What feels like it's a really good fit? And then what are things that you can accomplish pretty easily within the frameworks of your life? And so maybe you're like, I like to go on five-day retreats. And it's like, well, that's awesome. But can you do that right now? Let's not wait until you get five days to go away. Maybe you really like to read and you cannot remember the last book you read. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that's easy to pop in some AirPods and listen to an audio book. Maybe that's something you're going to do differently now or before you would sit down with a book or or whatever. So it sounds really obvious, but I think a lot of us don't do things like that. It takes a few minutes, but it's worth it. I don't think it's obvious because like you said, like we're constantly managing the relationship with our partner and managing the relationship with our kids. And we just don't, we stop managing the relationship with ourselves because we're just so tired. Yeah. And I think it's, what's her name from uh, Diary of an Honest Mom. She's like, yeah, Libby. Libby. She's like, we need breaks where we don't have to write a thousand, like 
item list uh, explaining to our partner how to do the thing that mm-hmm. all the things that need to be done when we go take our break. We need breaks that doesn't mean that when we get back, we are going to be behind. You know, yes. we just we're so used to um, managing everybody else's needs all the time. Yes. And putting our own needs first often means putting us more behind on the things that we have to do. And that's the fundamental thing that we need to aim to change. But as you said, at one point in this podcast, it's never going to be perfect. And that's not the goal. No. And also like it becomes defeating sometimes if we are like, we're not going to start so if it's like, okay, every time I do something for me, I end up behind. I know that's true. Like I've, I've lived that myself. Sometimes it's gotten better over the years. It continues to improve. But if if we're like, if we use those reasons to not do anything for ourselves, we are participating in the perpetuation of the status quo. And so it's like some, these things are not overnight fixes. Um, yes, like for example, my book will give you a system you can start doing immediately. Um, the feedback I've gotten from it are people like, oh my gosh, I could do it right away. So it's like, I know that like it will help you meet, but like some of the, the, even the family system changes will, will take a little bit of time to move in the right direction and may require some of those conversations. Um, and, but it's, it's a, it's something worth fighting for. And I think it's something worth struggling through to get to a place where you can do these things with a lot of ease because it is possible. Yeah. And like you're a model for your children. So if you want your children to prioritize their own needs and their own happiness, you have to prioritize your own needs and your happiness. Yeah. And I know it's common sense, but like, I, I think, I think there were real coming out about this. Like it's, it's, People are like, yeah, 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 prioritize your needs. So then you can like pour, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Like we always kind of like say these things like, "Eh," you know, whatever. (laughs) That's like we roll up whatever. But the the thing, if we're really honest with ourselves, if we never put ourselves first or it's very, very rare, it's the exception. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it needs to be the rule. It just needs to be a little bit better distribution. Um, If we never do or almost never do, what happens? We become angry grumpy, irritable, resentful, uptight, lacking in fun. We become people we don't want to be and that we don't like. And then we're like, I don't even feel like myself anymore. And then what happens is that all of this stuff trickles into our relationship with with our children and with our partner. And so we are accomplishing none of the things that are important to us at that point. Yeah. And so we need to remember that. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about mom guilt, but I think you just answered the question for anybody like a, like an antidote to mom guilt is that if you (laughs) feel bad for doing something for yourself and Caitlin Murray of big time adulting did a reel about the other day. She's like, I I know I love her too. I got to interview her last year. I think she's so exactly who she presents. She's amazing. But yeah. So the like, why do I always feel guilty when my, when my kids are in the house and I'm not with them? It's what you just said. It's mm-hmm. like, you can't expect to be the best version of yourself if you're not feeding yourself. And the person who is going to be the best mother is the person you feed. Yes. So, yes. yeah. I love that. 
analogy because um, we have something in our courses that we apply to relationships, but it reply, applies to your relationship with yourself. It's called the starvation principle, which mm-hmm. is a lot of times we um, only feed our relationships when they're starving. So it's like you go for like a year and a half with no time alone and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm going on a girl's weekend and then you feed yourself and then you're like, how long can I survive on this like <laughs> this little bit of sustenance and then you feed yourself again and instead we need to get good at like was it like the snacking <laughs> gotta watch our yeah. right we gotta be feeding ourselves regularly and I think that's a really important piece so I can share a couple resources is that okay yeah I was gonna say I tell us all the, the things that you offer and where people can go to work with you and okay because then your book's coming out September I think the mom get one I actually have in so I have a bundle of free e-guides for moms and so there's one on mom guilt in there. So you can read that and actually get like a deep dive on mom guilt. Um, and it also comes with how to talk to your partner about the mental load. And it comes in print, like a printable version and an audio version because it's longer. And it navigates defensiveness and all the things that inevitably come up, unfortunately, during that conversation. So my website is drmorgancutlip.com. And right on the homepage, it says like gifts for moms. And that's how you can access all those free ones. And I also on the homepage have a free download called It's Not Personal. And it's about that um, challenge that I did to take nothing personally. And it talks about how you can do that yourself. And then you can find my book too, right from my homepage. It will take you... um, to the book page and you can order from any online retailer. But then if you pre-order before September, uh, the book, there's tons of free resources. So you'll get an audio, the first three chapters in audio right away to listen to. You get um, exclusive interviews um, with like an occupational therapist on tired all the time, experience in motherhood, on um, some like health hacks, different things like that. And a bunch of other freebies. I don't need to give them all, but that's how you access them is through that web page. Oh, okay. and then on Instagram, I'm on Instagram. Yes. Dr. Dr. Morgan Cutlip, all one word, no period. Um, and my name is like an injury to the lip. So that's how you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. My name is an injury to the lip. We'll, we'll end on that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you're delightful. I'm so grateful for the work that you put out into the world and um, for you being here and sharing all of your wisdom with us today. I know we barely scratched the surface. Um, (laughs) A lot to say. There is so much to say when it comes to this topic. So, but I appreciate you so much and I'm so glad to meet you. That's great to meet you too. Thank you for having me. Uh, I hope that if you don't already follow Dr. Morgan on Instagram, I love what she said. Oh, an injury to the lip. Oh my gosh. She's so funny. She is that funny all the time. She's down to earth it's one of the reasons why I find her advice to be so relatable because she's not sitting on her soapbox, even though she's got all of those um, credentials. That's She's coming to us from the place of being raw, <laughs> being a mother, uh, not from being an expert. And I really feel drawn to uh, people like that. So follow Dr. Morgan on Instagram. Um, go and do that now unless you're driving. Don't do that now. If you're driving, I would like you to wait until you've arrived safely at your destination and then you can go and follow her. Not that you need to be told that, but just in case you were like, oh my God, I'm going to take my phone. Um, (laughs) sometimes I'm really nerdy, you guys. Um, once you follow her, go buy her book and while you're at it, buy it for one of your mom friends who you know could use this advice. If for no other reason, just to support 
a mother in business get the book. But I know you're going to love the book because it's written for you. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you loved it, you know what to do. Please show some love and leave a five-star rating. And if you really loved it, go ahead and leave a glowing review. You can also share it with your friends. Tag us on social media if you're listening to it. Find your favorite part and put it in your stories, whatever you want to do. However you want to show us the love, even if it's just to send a good intention um, our way and share the show with somebody who needs it, that's enough. Whatever you can do. So I've been a little underwater with life stuff lately, uh, as you may have been able to sort of tell if you've been listening for a while and you're like, why are our episodes not coming out ever anymore? Well, very much in alignment with today's topic, I am going to get myself an actual break. I took like an accidental break just because the life was just coming at me so quickly. I just did not even have the capacity to get these shows out, but now I'm actually taking an intentional break. <laughs> I don't know for how long, probably a month or two. Um, but when I come back, I'm going to have some amazing guests for you, of course, including an episode with my partner in the kitchen, Chef Aaron Goldstein, whose passion is to help children get excited about food and nutrition in ways that sets up their palates for life. He's brilliant, and I cannot wait for y'all to meet him. Um, we'll do Instagram lives. We'll probably do some cooking shows together. It's going to be brilliant. If you've got any issues with feeding your kids, please direct message me on Instagram at the mom feed podcast. And I will make sure to ask Aaron your questions. And this is coming from me who was a picky eater up until about 15 years ago when I was in my twenties. Before that, <laughs> you could not get me to eat very much unless it was a Dalston ketchup and chocolate sauce. So I understand picky eating and Aaron's going to help us through all of that. Look out for that in the next, I'd say, month or two. I promise I'll update you on social media about that. All right, Mama, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. In case no one has told you yet today or perhaps in a while, you are doing such a good job, a great job. Your kids are so lucky to have you as their mother. And if you believe what I believe, they chose you. They chose you for a reason because you're everything they want and everything they need. So go take care of the women, the women, those children chose to call mom so that you can give them the best version of yourself as often as you can. Nobody's asking for perfect here. Just as often as you can. Okay. Okay. Love you, mama. Bye for now. Bye.